The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi everybody, how you doing? Thanks for coming back to another episode of the Piercing Wizard Podcast. Uh, Admittedly, I haven't been putting a lot of focus into the podcast lately because I've just needed to put a little bit more focus into my, like, personal life, but I'm back. I'm gonna do, um couple new episodes for you. They're not going to be every week, but I'm going to trickle some stuff out. And I wanted to start by um, sharing this troubleshooting conversation I had with Jeff Saunders. We recorded this when we were at the GEP conference in Brazil this past August. And it was a nice conversation. I've been able to see a couple different sides of the the Jeff Saunders troubleshooting uh, educational material. I've taken the class as an attendee. Um, I've actually uh, instructed the class as uh, kind of a substitute teacher uh, for, for Jeff at a conference, um, and I've, I've had a lot of conversations with with Jeff about his logic and his thought process that goes into troubleshooting and what to do, what not to do, and, and finding kind of a happy medium in between. So I, I thought it would be really good to have that conversation when we were uh, at GEP and we were sharing a hotel room together for a week. So. We recorded this conversation, and we just kind of talk about what we tell people for aftercare, but also like the aftercare um, post-piercing when maybe an issue might come up. Sometimes you have to reinforce your aftercare saying, um, everything looks good, continue doing this. Sometimes you have to change it up a little bit and say, well, I'm seeing a problem. Let's try to figure out where the problem's coming from and what we can do to resolve it. We go into that in quite a bit of detail. He's married to someone much smarter than him who is in the medical community. Uh, hi, Laura Jane. And uh, Jeff has access to a lot of medical literature, so he can kind of draw on that and say, well, is there evidence to say saline works or doesn't work? Is there evidence to say cotton swabs work or don't work? Um, what, are the, what are comparable medical procedures that are similar to how you would heal a piercing, similar to problems that might come up with a healing piercing? And then what does the medical community kind of rely on? What sort of studies, what sort of information, what sort of evidence is out there to support uh, their way of thinking? And what parts of it can we incorporate into our practices as body piercers? So it's a really great conversation. Uh, Stick around through the end. Jeff talks about how he is um, now on Patreon offering uh, written blog content. So if you want that kind of deep dive information on, on different subjects, Jeff's Patreon is great to check out. But this is not Jeff's podcast. It's my podcast. So let's talk about my Patreon also. Thank you. Uh, I have some new content for you. I published a video all about smaller nipple piercings. I've been doing a lot of work on nipple piercings lately in the studio and and outside of the studio instructing. Uh, I taught my nipple piercing class in Brazil. I taught it in Germany. I taught it in the UK at at all those different conferences. And um, nipple piercings are really one of my favorite things lately. So I've come out with some nipple content on Patreon previously. I had a video about inverted nipple piercings that a lot of people said was very helpful. So 
I did this follow-up video about smaller nipple piercings, uh, talking about some of the, the different things that you might want to think about when you're talking about a really small nipple, a really tiny nipple, kind of an ambiguous line between the, the nipple and the areola and you know, clamps, no clamps, all these different things. So I've got a, a subtitled version. I've got a no subtitled version available on Patreon right now. By the time this episode publishes on uh, on podcast platforms anyway, I should have a new video for you about vertical librette piercings also. Working on that currently, I'm about three quarters of the way through it. Um, you know, I, I put together the skeleton, I have the video, I have to do like the little transitional things and titling, and then I have to do the subtitling, which is, uh, you know, a, a big portion of the work. So I'm hoping to have that uh, all uploaded and available um, by the end of October. And a uh, good thing too, because that's when Lola's coming to visit me. Lola's going to be uh, at my house for Halloween, so it should be really nice. Uh, to spend some some time together completely outside of any sort of work responsibilities. I'm taking a few days off. She's obviously taking a few days off to, to be here with me. I'm going to have that new Patreon video for you. And I'm working on a lot of new stuff for the fall. Um, I, I want to try to make some some new videos, maybe do, uh, you know, the narrated piercing instructional videos, but maybe also try to do maybe kind of a new series on on technical aspects in the shop. So if you're looking for, for something specific, if you're interested in content, reach out to me, especially if you're already a subscriber at, at patreon.com slash ryanpba. Send me a message. Let me know what you're interested in. I get a lot of questions on Patreon. I do my best to, to take as much time as I can to, to answer questions, send people helpful links, and, and try to offer as much mentoring as I can on, on the Patreon platform. And that includes making content that you're interested in seeing. So if you want to see a, a certain topic, more about statums, anodizers, jewelry, or a certain kind of piercing, or any other aspect of what we do within the piercing studio, just let me know. Uh, so for now, I'm going to go ahead and get into this interview with Jeff, and I'll be back a little bit more at the end. Okay. Uh, we are in... Well, actually, I don't even know where we are. We're in Brazil. We're in Brazil. We're not in Sao Paulo. We are uh, two I, to three hours outside of Sao Paulo. Uh, I was told it would be two and a half hours. It was four. Okay. Um, I can tell you exactly where we are. We are somewhere near the ocean. The ocean. <laughs> Uh, no, no, no. I, I wrote it down. Oh. This is great content. It's great content. Uh, we are at Pusada Point. Okay. Well, I'm sure people are really glad that we clarified that. Boracia Beach. Okay. Boracea Beach. Oh, that's uh, the best one. Yeah. Uh, and we're, we're teaching some classes about piercer stuff while we're here. And uh, yes, yesterday? You taught your class on troubleshooting. I did. Uh, how how do you feel like it went? I feel like it went very well. Good. I had a lot of fun. How many slides did you get? Uh, so the, the whole slideshow is 114 slides. Yeah. And we got them all. Okay. Great. Got to them all in the two-hour allotted timeline. Yeah. Uh, now, I raced through the last 40 or so, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I did it. Well... Um, as far as as far as that class, I have seen I have seen that class of yours from multiple perspectives. You've performed it. I have performed it. <laughs> yes. I, I, well, okay. I performed about sixty to seventy percent of those slides, um, and it, it's really valuable information. And like you can you can give clients all the troubleshooting information in the world, but 
uh, when, when you're talking to a client about troubleshooting, it's about their specific problem and what they need to do to, to take care of it. So sometimes they're not really thinking about different elements that go into troubleshooting. They're just worried about getting their piercing to, to heal mm -hmm. or to stop hurting or to stop oozing or just, you know, whatever. When you talk to troubleshooting, uh, when you talk troubleshooting with other piercers, I think a big goal of it is trying to just like build up some logic in their mind as to like, well, maybe you did too much of this or not enough of, of this. Um, so how, how do you usually approach troubleshooting when it comes to talking with piercers? Well, I think the big thing that I want to convince piercers is that the best thing they can do is develop a sort of a checklist. And that can actually be a written checklist or it can be just a checklist that they go through in their mind. And I'm of the opinion that it is better to start with mistakes that the piercer may have made. Mm -hmm. um, because if you start there, then first off, you're more likely to figure out the issue. But second, I think there's, if your trouble, if the primary goal of your troubleshooting is to preserve your ego, then you're not really doing the job. So you mean like when you're telling every single client that it's their fault because they slept on it? Exactly. Uh, and you, and a lot of times you're neglecting the fact like, you know, I, the piercing has a bump that favors one side. That means that the angle of the piercing is probably wrong. And that is probably my fault. That's been a tough lesson for me to learn, uh, especially when it comes to the really, really small things that can fall into human error on the side of the piercer. like not like crazy diagonal angles, but just even slight problems with an angle or, or you know, end piece selection or post selection or something like that. You know, you do have to, there's kind of a balance though, because sometimes in those like initial contacts, it's like, well, okay, first I want to eliminate a couple of things that might be on your side. Do you think that any of these factors, do you feel like you might've had an accident? Do you feel like you might've had chemical exposure? Do you feel like you poke or, or prod at it? Um, and then if we can eliminate those, then it's probably going to be those hard moments where it's just like, well, you know, maybe I could have done a little bit of a different size or shape or placement or something. Sure. Yeah. And then some piercings are just bound to get cranky along the process of the, the healing, right? Uh, when I do a doth piercing, I tend to expect those piercings to get little cranky bumps on them. Um, and one of the things that's nice about doth is that it's usually out of sight and out of mind. Mm -hmm. So the client doesn't typically notice them unless they get really big or they have a, a, a friend or a partner that points it out. Uh, uh, so yeah, I mean, like sometimes just uh, a a, uh, a a normal p a part of healing is for the piercing to get cranky along the way, mm -hmm. and that's not necessarily a, uh, a you know fire alarm going off, right? Oh, things this this really needs uh, updated aftercare. We need to change everything. Sometimes it's just a okay. We need to be patient and developing that uh, as a piercer is both challenging and also you're bound to get it wrong from time to time, which is frustrating, right? Because we want to get it right as often as possible. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons I built that class was that I really wanted to uh, give piercers some perspective into successful ways to approach things that were intellectually honest and also were effective. Mm -hmm. um, there, there are a couple points that I really want to strike on on this episode too. Uh, I really want to talk about 
how you might want to interact with uh, different parts of cleaning. Like, you know, there's the, there's the cleaning you give people right when the piercing is done. Like these are best practices for aftercare. This is what I would suggest you do. But then there's also that aftercare to kind of take care of a, a more specific problem. Like, you know, really make sure you're doing this or really make sure you're avoiding that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think a big part that I would like to talk about is just the whole concept of like, you know, the, the leave it the hell alone mentality versus the physical cleaning mentality and trying to find that comfortable balance in between and that it doesn't really have to be one camp or the other. Sure, sure. I, the first thing I want to address is that I think leave it the hell alone has has some historical context. Mm -hmm. And people don't really think about it like that. They're just like, well, this is just what we've said for a long time. But it, it, it is now meaningless. Yeah. Does, it's, it's bad advice because it means so many different things to so many people. And it's 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 like that bumper sticker advice. Leave it the hell alone. It's just like, okay, what does that mean? And mm -hmm. for some piercers, that means just don't touch it. And for other piercers, that means totally neglect the piercing. Don't do anything to it. Don't get it wet. Yeah. Uh, don't feed it after midnight. Like, but that's like because there's all that completely different advice within that information. I think we need to get away from that as a statement because it's meaningless. Mm -hmm. um, I think personally, there's a really simple formula for cleaning, and uh, uh, I think it's what most piercers use. I think it's, you know, uh, uh, rinse it in the shower when you take a shower. Hopefully that loosens up the crusties. Spray it with some saline solution. Um, I like Neomed, but, you know, your, your sterile saline of choice. Uh, and then uh, wipe any remaining cr crusties off. And I'm of the uh, opinion that sterile cotton swabs are the best uh, choice for that. Uh, and then in certain circumstances, uh, uh, non-woven gauze can be a great option. Um, in certain circumstances, I think clean paper towels can be a good option, but something to wipe the crusty stuff off and then something to dry afterwards. And it's pretty simple, right? Well, I, I think an issue with the, the leave it the hell alone mentality is that in the age of the internet, people think that it's like, well, you know, if level one is good, then mm -hmm. level 10 is the best, you right. know, so everything should be the level 10. And um, I don't know if it's really our story to tell, but you know, we heard a story while we're here of an example where the part of the aftercare was like, it's okay to urinate when you have a new PA. So someone took that and their leap of logic was, I should be cleaning my PA with urine. And if I don't have enough of my own, then someone else's urine would be an adequate aftercare product. Right. So like those leaps in logic, and you have that similar kind of leap of logic with the leave it the hell alone, where that means like, just pretend you don't have a piercing. Right. Don't touch it, don't look at it, don't breathe on it. Um, but like, you know, you do have the stuff that discharges from a piercing. So if you're not cleaning that away, it's like when you when you get a, a, a cut or a wound or, or you know some sort of surgical care kind of a thing, um, there's active aftercare. Mm -hmm. Yes, you want to leave it alone and you want to let the wound heal. You want to let the body do its job, but you also want to make sure that you you clean it. You you know kind of get rid of the things that the body expels through healing, and that's that's also going to be part of aftercare. There's a delicate balance, and it's not just like take that to its most extreme, like, you know, dilution. Right, right. And I think there's there's certain things from the medical industry that you can take a look at 
and it's like, okay, here's a good example of something that's similar to a piercing. Nothing's ever perfect. And uh, I, I recently had a, a discussion with one of my patrons and they were just like, do you think you're cherry picking a bit here from the medical literature? And it's just like, well, yeah, but you kind of have to base it on your professional approach as a piercer. It's just like, okay, here's what we know works really well as, as piercers. And here's some, um, uh, a medical analog that's almost identical. And uh, the thing that I've found, and I say I've found, my wife told me to look at, is that it's uh, pin site care for external fixators. Um, do you know what those are? That would be like if someone breaks a bone and they need to have something like kind of stabilizing it during healing. Correct. So the pin would be driven through the soft tissue, usually anchored into the bone, but you would have something moderately akin to a piercing, you'd have like a, a, a wound site that would need to be cleaned. Exactly. And it behaves a lot like a piercing. Now, interestingly, the medical community has several different approaches to how they clean those things. Um, but uh, the Johns Hopkins uh, Children's Hospital, uh, the aftercare is roughly identical to body piercing aftercare. They wrap the um, pin sites in gauze, they spray it with saline, they let it soak for a few minutes, they remove the gauze, uh, then they use cotton swabs um, to gently remove any remaining crust, uh, and then they dry either with swabs or with gauze. Exudate is one of my favorite mm. medical Exudate. terms. Mm, yes. Uh, and you know, that tends to be the aftercare. Now, uh, there's versions of that, keep in mind, with these pin sites, infection's a huge deal and the idea of getting the pin site to heal's pretty uh, uh it's not really their top priority right yeah. like if the piercing, trying to get the bone to bend yes if if that site stays weepy and wet and doesn't heal then fine no big deal so a lot of times the aftercare is uh 50 water 50 peroxide uh, and it's just like well see that's not piercing aftercare it's just like yeah but they're goal is different. Um, but it, the, the mechanical part of it is still pretty much identical. It's gauze, swabs, and uh, cleaning a couple times a day. The concept is to remove the crusty buildup, to remove the exudate without giving that, that wound, that whole site, a, a, a higher tendency of infection. Mm -hmm. With a body piercing, it's creating a healthy channel of tissue, creating a fistula. So you have two different needs there, but the concept is similar. You have like a hole and you want to keep that hole from getting more irritated so that, you know, all the healing can take place. But to do that, you do need to, to properly take care of the site. Right. And that crust, I've heard piercers that are friends of mine refer to the crust as like, it's the same thing as a scab. It insulates the wound. And I disagree. Mm -hmm. I think the crusty stuff is a totally distinct material that when... Uh, it's pressed up against the skin, tends to irritate, tends to hold bacteria, gloms onto bacteria, it makes infection more likely. Um, it must be removed. Uh, well, it's like, it's, it's like the trash being taken out. Mm, exactly, yeah. Uh, uh, and I think it's, it's silly to try to uh, uh, assert that it's one thing when it's quite obviously not a sca uh, scab. Like a scab, when you remove a scab, it bleeds. Uh, when you remove a scab, it hurts. When you take get rid of crust, it usually feels kind of nice, mm -hmm. uh, and there's no blood or anything like that. Maybe the first week, you, there's an argument, but after the first week of, of, of fresh piercing, forget it. I think 
uh, removal of the crusty materials in a central part of the aftercare. And, and I'm sure you've seen this too, where when that doesn't happen, it's a disaster. Yeah, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell clients if, if you can gently and easily remove that dried buildup, fine, but don't do anything that feels like you're picking at a scab because you don't want to be forcing at that wound and, and scrubbing away at it, trying to get rid of every little like speck of, of dried material that might be there. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, you know, you do have to clean that stuff away because let's imagine, uh, uh, not, not an everyday scenario, but I would not call it an uncommon scenario, a tragus piercing. Mm -hmm. um, if someone's not paying attention to the back of that piercing, mm -hmm. um, especially if they're doing an aftercare method that's like a no touch method, a leave it the hell alone thing where it just gets wet and dry and wet and dry and wet and dry, and it still has that like exudate, all you're gonna get is this like lump of concrete on the back of the piercing getting stopped by the ball or the disc or whatever the, the rear attachment is. Um, and it's just gonna accumulate and accumulate and accumulate and then eventually it's going to be really problematic for the piercing. Um, I've had clients come in where they, they're, they're mad at me at first saying, well, you pierced me with too short of a piece of jewelry mm -hmm. because my front end piece is sinking into the skin. Mm. And then I look at the back and there's this like concrete ball of gunk uh, and that's basically pulling the front gem in because they've never cleaned the back of the piercing. So that's that's definitely one of those scenarios where you look at it and say, the leave it the hell alone method is is really counterproductive for healing. For sure. Uh, Matthias referred to that as the onion ring and I can't get it out of my uh, head. It's so gross, uh, but it's so perfect. Think about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that gave you pause. Yeah. Um, so, I, so, so what do you tell clients in scenarios like that? Uh, when, when there's a, a giant buildup, it's just like, hey, you know, if you're having trouble reaching this, uh, first, you know, really got to make sure that it's getting wet enough because when the, the piercing gets super wet, the crust tends to be very easy to remove without a lot of physical uh, uh, effort. Um, and sometimes it just takes the piercer to do that once, get the, the, the funion off and uh, you're good, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, you know, have a partner uh, or a friend uh, wash their hands, put on gloves, use sterile swabs, and get the stuff off for you mm -hmm. every once in a while. Uh, so sometimes now with, with certain kinds of, of piercings, ones that the client might have a tough time seeing on their own, especially if they've come in with someone who's, you know, a parent or a partner or something, I'll be telling the aftercare to the client, say, you know, if you have someone at home that you trust to help clean this with you, mm -hmm. you know, also share these, these aftercare instructions with them. Sometimes it'll be maybe mom helping out, maybe a husband, a boyfriend, a daughter helping out, like taking care of the, the, the piercing. And that can be great. Um, but I also ha have learned that when I'm resolving an issue like that, I don't want to just like do all the things and not show the person. At the same time, I don't want to shame the person. Sure. So yeah. what I'll usually start with is, oh, would you mind, you know, having your phone set up for a picture? I'm going to take a picture of what's going on here so I can kind of walk you through it and then walk through how to avoid it in the future. And once they see that, maybe they do feel that little twinge in the mind of like, the internet lied to me, you are supposed <laughs> to clean a piercing. But then they also get it. They have this visual representation of like, oh, this is what happens if I don't follow this aftercare. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think that's perfect. That You brought something up. Do you mind if I take things off in a direction? It always cracks me up when someone gets pierced by like Ryan Willette and then goes to the internet for piercing advice. I, I kind of understand where someone might not realize that they're getting pierced by one of the best piercers in the world, right? 
but they they've put some element of trust in you you've done the job you've done a good job you've done really nice jewelry you you, you know uh you you've invested with uh this company why wouldn't you listen to their aftercare and mm-hmm. i think a lot of people they're just like yeah but this this youtube person has two million follows right and that for a certain not and, and i don't want to just say it's young people because i don't think it's just young people um I think for a certain kind of person, that's the thing. That's the real expertise is how many people follow you on the internet. And it's just like, oh, yeah, they've actually never sat through a piercing class. Or or it, some of these people haven't even ever performed a piercing. Or they're just enthu- one. Right. They're <laughs> yeah. just enthusiasts, yeah. you know. Or they're medical professionals that are just like, oh, this makes sense. And they don't actually have the... Uh, the life experience and the piercing experience to say like, oh, this is why this this advice actually backfires quite a bit. So two things is I, I think there's an aspect of it where people want to have their own level of control. Mm-hmm. And when they come in, you know, like they're, they're handing their control of the piercing being performed, the jewelry being sterilized, the jewelry being installed, they're handing all those things to the piercer. Yeah. The piercer can hand them back some aftercare, but sometimes people leave and they just want to be in, in control of their own destiny for better or worse. Sure, that makes where, sense. Where they might say like, you know, well, I heard once that you should do this. So obviously like I have this secret that they've never heard. So I have the control now because now I'm doing this cool thing. But um, there's there's also the, the side of it where a lot of those blogger type people, the people giving the internet advice, you have a, a great way of talking about it. Like, did you heal because you did this thing or did you heal in spite of this thing? Sure. We've, we've all known, especially as, as piercers, we've all known people that have those insane stories of like, oh, I cleaned it with lemon juice or peanut butter <laughs> or you know, my cat licked it twice a day and that's why it healed. So you should obviously do this secret trick. When it's like, we've also seen people who have been pierced in all different levels of condition and, and hygiene and jewelry quality and let's let's be honest that like the majority of piercings even poorly healed piercings can heal sure do heal um, but sometimes that's because the person has a really healthy body healthy immune system or just like dumb luck so it doesn't mean that like all of the factors that were present when their piercing healed is what makes a piercing heal right so sometimes people get confused by those two factors yeah your personal experience seems like a really persuasive thing. But if I based things on my personal experience when I got pierced when I was very young, when I was uh, uh, just 18, and I was using Dial and Bactine, those were the piercings that healed the fastest for me. They were my earlobes. <laughs> so the easiest to heal piercings to begin with. I was very young, right? So I was, you know, uh, uh, obviously like younger people tend to heal faster. Uh, it wasn't because of the dialin it was in spite of the dialin that I healed great. Uh, but you can understand how I could have taken the wrong lessons from that, right? Just like, actually, all the, all the piercers think they're so right when they say don't use this, but I know from personal experience that they're wrong. It's just like, no, actually, it's not the way that works. And I know that it's persuasive. It's, it, even to this day, it's just like, yeah, but it worked, right? It's just like, yeah it didn't work like my body worked. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's also 
a, a generational thing. Um, piercers who were getting into their career or maybe had mentors who were getting into their career through the 90s, they might have that 90s kind of era generation of aftercare. So you might still have people today who think that it's all about dial antibacterial soap and mm. Bactine. Then you'll have this kind of phase where it's like, well, no, you gotta mix your own homemade salt solution. Uh, and then you have this phase of like, you know, saline or whatever in between step. Sometimes piercers or clients, they, they heard information that's 10 or 20 or 30 years outdated and they never heard the new generation or, or the, the chapter after that or the chapter after that. Because sometimes piercers, myself included, was like, oh yeah, it's all about chemicals. And then after a while you're like, oh no, these chemicals are probably actually making it more difficult to heal, so why don't we try this? Mm -hmm. But there'll always be people who are still holding up that aftercare from when they got pierced right. or from when they originally got mentored and they just kind of, they, they stop writing new chapters after that. Yeah, and it's funny because I would actually take uh, uh, two different approaches to that. When it comes to the piercer recommending things, I think it's important to stay up to date and I think it's uh, important to listen to m modern uh, medical uh, approaches to these things. Um, when it comes to the individual, like for example, if I uh, have a client and they say, you know, uh, I know I'm not supposed to, but every time I try saline, it doesn't seem to work for me. So I just go back to Bactine and it works great. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna shame that client. I'm just like, hey, you know what? Don't recommend that to your friends because the likelihood is, in that, is that it's not going to work for them. But I'm not going to argue with your results, yeah. right? You do what seems to work for you. Um, and if it starts to not work, let's talk because I think I've got more up to date and, and certainly uh, 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 better aftercare advice. Uh, but I do think it's important to have those two sort of approaches to it, that you don't want to be such a believer in the modern stuff that you are, are like shame people or just say, it's impossible to heal with mm -hmm. that. It's just like, you know what, Pe people are weird and stuff that shouldn't work sometimes does. Um, do I want them giving advice on the internet? No. Uh, but I, do I want them doing something that doesn't work as well for them just to please me? No. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I think another factor is like body piercings hurt when you get it because it's a needle going through your body. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, if you remove a really swollen, angry piercing kind of a factor, piercings usually aren't very painful when they're healing mm -hmm. and they're not very painful when you're cleaning them. So if people put all kinds of crazy chemicals on it and it doesn't hurt, then they have this thing where it's like, it's fine, it didn't even hurt. Sure. So what I, I also like to say to people when I'm going over aftercare, especially when people push back and they're like, oh yeah, but what about? And then, oh yeah, what about? I, the, the line that I've gotten really good success with is, if you wouldn't put something in your eye, just don't put it on your healing piercing. Yeah. And like people instantly get it because it's like, well, if you put Bactine on your earlobe, it's probably not gonna sting, but if you put it in your eye, it, like you'd really feel it. Yeah, it's you know? chloride. <laughs> people just instantly kind of get it when I say it that way. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. That's a good, that's a good approach. Um, I, I also find that, um, that I completely forgot what I was just gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nope, lost it. All right. Yeah. Um, to the best of us. So, uh, you know, another beneficial thing is not making it seem like you're a snake oil salesman because mm -hmm. like I know that 
you love Neomed saline specifically. Mm -hmm. That's the same product that I carry in my studio. I buy it in bulk, I've sold it for years. But I think it's also helpful to tell a client when you're when you're getting to that stage of like, yes, we have aftercare here. Um, it, it does cost a, a small amount of money to add that on. You know, I charge $10 for a big can of it. But I also find it's really helpful and almost gives a little bit of extra credibility to say, you don't have to get it from me. This is also available in most pharmacies, just wound wash saline, that's what you'd wanna look for. And I think sometimes it does kind of take a little bit of pressure off people because sure. when they come in thinking like, you know, well, what soap do I need? And it's like, well, you don't actually need that. You need this magic product from me specifically. Right, right. They, may, they might not trust it a little bit, but if it's like, well, you can get this from me or you can get roughly the same thing from your local CVS, your local Walgreens, maybe that helps to soften it a little bit. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't have a lot to add there. I, I, it, it totally makes sense to me, and you know, I, I, I think people a lot of times just like, oh, whatever gets me home the fastest. You've got the the saline, great, and that's why I have the cotton swaps as well. Yep. you know, that's why I just like you're not sick. You don't need to go to the pharmacy. Uh, here's all the stuff you need. Just go home. If I get a, if I get one of those situations too, where I can tell that like the client wants it, but like maybe they just genuinely can't afford it. Or mm -hmm. maybe they've already spent enough and they don't want to spend $1 more. And it's just that. like, you know what? Here you go. Please just take this with you because right. I want you to have the easiest healing possible. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I remember that back in the day when I was getting sneakers and they're like, you really need the sneaker sealant stuff. Right. And it's just like, no. I don't need I, the undercoating. Uh, I, <laughs> you know, they put that undercoating at the, <laughs> at the factory, right? Yeah. Uh, no, it's just, yeah. It, I 100% get that that add-on for folks is like, no, absolutely not. Um, they're just, they're done spending money for the day. Mm -hmm. So it is nice to have it available elsewhere. Um, I, I just, I think for uh, the vast majority of people, they're just like, oh, you've got what I need and I get to go home, that's great. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to like the, the way you field uh, troubleshooting inquiries, do you feel like you're trying to do the majority of that with like a face-to-face -face consultation or are you trying to steer more of that towards uh, an FAQ page, a, a video somewhere on your website or just have them email photos and converse that way? Well, so I, this, this is, a, it's a good question and it really depends I think from shop to shop. Mm -hmm. For the most part, I try to give people two options. If they're really concerned, let's get you in as quickly as possible face-to-face. -face. Um, if it's just like, hey, I'm not quite sure what's going on, then let's do it via email or Zoom first. Uh, I'm mostly uh, a stay-at-home dad at this point, so I have uh, uh, the ability to do a lot of that stuff via Zoom or via email. So people are really into that if they're just like, oh, getting to Ann Arbor and parking is just a hassle for me. But then we also have so many people that live walking distance from the shop that it's just like, oh, if, if I could come right down, that'd be fantastic. It's like, well, we're appointment only, but two days from now, we've got 15 minutes, come on in. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think both those approaches work well. Uh, I do like each thing to be sort of individual to the person. Um, I think a, one of the problems is, that, like, have you ever had that situation where uh, a client can't really even tell the difference between like a rook and a doth piercing. Mm -hmm. Like the, to them, like constantly, it, yeah, it's it's the same piercing. They're just slightly different placements. So like I'm afraid that uh, the things that I'm talking about, the sort of nuance, is just like, oh, like 
a rash in the area is a lot different than a bump, right? That sort of distinction is going to be lost on them. So I really do like to actually have the individual discussion with the person, if, if at all possible. Um, something that I've run into really now that we're into, I don't know, there, there needs to be a, a better phrase terminology-wise with the industry because we're definitely not post-pandemic. We're, we're <laughs> not, you know, whatever phase we are now, but like the the it's not a new normal it's just how we operate today yes um i have a very small staff it's usually just one piercer and then maybe we have one counter person um to be able to run my business and and pay my bills we have to like utilize the day efficiently so the day is booked with uh, appointments whether it's jewelry changes or new piercings or whatever it's, it's booked in advance sometimes it's booked weeks in advance so when, when those clients uh, call or email and they're like, I have a problem, I have the, the most important problem you've ever encountered, um, it's, 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 it's difficult to be like, I'm sorry, I just, I, I can't take one more person today. Mm -hmm. So now I've kind of gotten to the point where if, if somebody calls, emails, contacts us in any way, the, the first thing we usually try to get them to do is send me a clear photo. Send me mm. a clear photo and just let me take a look at it. I take a look at it and it's like, if this is something that would fall into an emergency sort of thing, I'll stay late, I'll come in early tomorrow, I'll do whatever I, I can do to, to, resolve, to resolve the issue for you. But I also find that the majority of those like first troubleshooting inquiries we get from people are really, there's no problem. It's just like maybe they, they get this Hypochondriac's not the right word, but maybe the internet has gotten them worried mm. that like their ear's about to fall off right. or something. So I would say the vast majority of those, the first clear photo we get from the person, we can look at it and be like, I don't really see anything to worry about. Your skin is a little bit dry, so maybe decrease how much you're cleaning it. Um, hey, you've got this piercing, which you know it's, it's pretty typical that this specific issue can be a part of it. Do you feel like this might be a factor? Maybe that's something you should avoid. Like ear piercings, um, you know, headphones, pressure, snags, a face mask strap pushing on the back, all those different things. A lot of it will be like, maybe just think about this one little thing and then the rest of healing will be fine. So it's like this weird balance where I don't want clients to feel like their problem isn't worth our time because it's not going to generate income. Sure. Like they they paid their money initially at, at some point, like, you know, we're, we're gonna be there to support them mm -hmm. um, however they need, but it's also this balance of like, but we can't just spend half of our day having people come in to look at their piercing and tell them like, yes, it's fine. Right. Don't right. worry about it. Yeah. So we have to find this this balance and it's it's been tough to find. Yeah. And I think I think our situations are pretty different because I I do have a, a lot of folks that can do it. And and you know, for example, uh, I, I'll have two piercers on most days. Uh, not including myself uh, when I can come in. I'll have two counter staff. A lot of my counter staff now has taken the Fakir intensive, so they're capable of identifying some common piercing issues and discussing it like that. Uh, so I have a very, very different situation from you, and uh, I, I totally understand how frustrating that can be for you. I'm also at home and I can jump on with them immediately on a, on a Zoom call in most cases, except for when I'm on three-week South American <laughs> <Galavanta>. teaching tours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Lola's, Lola's in a kind of a similar situation too. I, I talk to her, you know, every day and 
a lot of that like how'd your day go kind of a thing and I can hear the frustration in her voice sometimes because she wants she needs 50 hours in a day sure you know to, to, to field all the questions and to make sure that everyone feels like they're getting the, the attention they deserve and it's just it, it's a it's a finite resource for a lot of piercers and a lot of shops so if you're fortunate enough to have multiple staff that can handle different things, uh, you know, get people in sooner rather than later, that's fantastic. But I, th I think that there are a lot of piercers out there who are just frustrated. And then in turn, they'll have frustrated clients who maybe feel like they're not getting an enough attention for an issue. Yeah, the only piece of advice I'd have for that is that for every single different social media or internet outlet that you have, um, there may be people approaching you via that that thing, and that used to stress me out quite a bit because it meant you were never off the job. Yeah, it's just like, oh, I went home and I flipped on Instagram and I've got twenty messages yeah. or whatever. And it's like, uh, on all of those, I put in uh, a little bit of information, like, hey, we don't do troubleshooting and we don't answer questions like an auto attendant form. kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, that's been really. Like really helpful for me, Lola basically like turned off the ability for anyone to be con to, to be anyone anyone to contact her other than her website. Perfect. Like she wants to funnel everything that way, mm -hmm. and it's it's not so much to keep her sane, even though it, it does help in that respect. It's it's to ensure that like someone knows that you sent us a message. Right. Yeah. Because you don't know. Yeah. You, you know, if you reached out to us on Twitter, like yeah, I I don't think we even have a Twitter anymore. Uh, um, uh, Instagram, Yelp, oh, you know, like I don't have Facebook, right? You know, like nobody's. We have auto attendants, and the auto attendant reply is like, "Hey, nobody's monitoring this inbox. If this is a significant issue, here's our phone number, here's our website, here's our email address." Mm -hmm. Words, words, words about. Um, uh, do you want to talk about Gap? Yeah. So, you know, as we said, we're we're here in Brazil, and. Um, what, what kind of like, what kind of questions were you getting in your, your class and what kind of interactions were you having? Like what, what, what are people here wondering about in, in relation to troubleshooting? Uh, it was honestly, it was the same stuff that you get in uh, the United States. Uh, I think this, uh, this group seems really savvy, really, uh, uh, it, they, they felt identical to if I was teaching a class in, uh, uh, at APP conference or something like that. Um, it, it, it was the same sorts of questions. The one thing that didn't come up, uh, and you and I have talked about it quite a bit, is that there's a certain portion of the piercing world, and I think this is over, um, uh, overstated on uh, internet forums like uh, Reddit forums, and sort of understated in real everyday day-to-day -day piercing, is that like people really think cotton swabs are a problem. Right, that's a big one that I wanted to talk about because I, I still get that even in my day-to-day my -day aftercare because my, my personal aftercare is I say, um, spray the site with saline. If you don't see any visible buildup or if you don't feel like there's any buildup on it, you can let it air dry, you can dry it off. Not every cleaning has to be with physical cleaning. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can just be rinsing the area. But I'll tell people also, but there will be a several weeks long period of your healing process where you will have some discharge, some dry crusty buildup, and that, that should be cleaned away. Yeah, You don't wanna be cleaning it away too much, you don't wanna be not cleaning it at all, and especially, you're not picking at it with your finger right. or your fingernail, that's not cleaning, that's picking at it, and that's that's destructive to the healing process. So 
you know, what would you what would you need to do? And logic brings me to a cotton swab. Mm -hmm. That's what I've done through the entirety of my career. That's what I've done for healing my own personal piercings. I, I've seen the good side of it. I have seen the bad side of it too. Um, but I think that the internet grabs on to the bad side and that same leap of logic where they say, well, you should never ever touch it with any kind of cotton swab because that's just as bad as picking with your fingernail. Right. So what do you say to those people? Well, yeah, so the, the argument first would be that it, it that fibers somehow get wrapped around the piercing and that those fibers then cause problems like directional bumps, uh, which isn't true, yeah. right? Um, the second argument is that people are rough with them. And the third problem is that, uh, that they would argue is that um, uh, any kind of organic material uh, it can be problematic. Trapped and I, in the piercing or something. Yeah, the, but the real big thing that they'll discuss is the cotton fibers. And their solution for that is often the use of non-woven gauze. Uh, so uh, uh, I have been frustrated by that because I was just like, okay. When I opened Gamma, it was in 2017, I had taken about a year and a half off of everyday piercing. Um, my son was born, relocated, and I was just like, well, you know, it's time to do the aftercare sheet. Maybe I'll try this no cotton swab thing, right? Uh, maybe these these uh, newer piercers have figured something out that I, I missed. Um, and I, when I don't think critically about the, the, uh, the advice uh, or the new thing on the block, I always regret it. <laughs> it always bites me. So a couple of years into this, it's just like, oh my God, this is just not working. I need to f work back uh, into cotton swabs because piercings were becoming impacted. Uh, but also the gauze was leaving far more fibers than the cotton swabs ever did. Uh, and then, you know, I even did experiments. I would take a, a, a prong gem and I'd scrub it really hard with some non-woven gauze and I'd scrub it really hard with some cotton swabs. And it's like, oh, it's not even close. The, after that, the gauze is all stuck to it. And I think a lot of piercers have had that experience too, where after they do a piercing, they're cleaning off uh, the iodine or whatever they're using for prep. And then you have saline. to pinch away that fluff because it got stuck. Exactly. But this doesn't happen with cotton swabs, at least not the tightly woven sterile ones. Um, and it's just like, why, where did this idea come from? Uh, so uh, a few months ago in the process of trying to build this new class, I was just like, all right, I'm going to jump back onto Reddit. And it's like, Reddit is not the place for me. <laughs> it turns me into a, 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 a like, an asshole. It, it, it makes me very, very frustrated. I've gotten kicked out of forums for not knowing what I was talking about. Piercing forums. Um, APP president. Just <laughs> well, I never bring stuff like that up, yeah. right? I don't because I want my ideas to be uh, um, heard with the absence of some sort of authority. I don't. Uh, yeah. If you're, you don't want to be like you got to trust me because of this credential. Right. You want to be like you want to just understand this logic. Right. Like the the the. The information should be persuasive on its own. The problem is that the information isn't persuasive compared to the orthodoxy that these forms develop. Um, and the forms develop an orthodoxy because they need some magical thinking to justify things because they're not actually basing it on science, they're basing it on what's 
popular. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of the one of these Reddit forums, and I'm not trying to blow them up, but like the pinned comment for the past three years uh, has been how to take how to not mess up your piercing, written by a piercer, and the only image on that is the image of someone using a Q-tip on a helix piercing with a cross through it. Yeah. Like, don't do it. You're messing it up. It's just like that doesn't. That's not backed up by close to 25 years of piercing experience for me. Um, but also, I was just like, fine, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit there and I'm gonna try to figure this out. Uh, and my wife, Laura, uh, Laura Jane, uh, was a piercer, is now a nurse. So I said to her, I was just like, hey, you know, you work at the hospital, you're doing some pretty serious uh, debriding of wounds and gross stuff that I ask her not to tell me about because I don't really actually have the stomach for it. Um, do you use cotton swabs? And she pulled her finger, her thumb and her index finger as far apart as she could. She's like, I've stuck cotton swabs this deep into people. <laughs> and it is so true. That's like, they're just used as a matter of fact. They're used as measuring devices. Like how deep is this wound? It's this deep, right? Uh, that's how cotton swabs are used in the hospital. And that's how often they are. And I was like, what, are you worried about cotton fibers? She's like, but no. It's just not a thing, you know? Um, So then I went to the uh, medical literature. She's like, and fortunately, because she's a nurse, (laughs) I can get into all of that paperwork now. I'm just like looking for anything that said cotton swabs are good or cotton swabs are bad. Mostly I was focusing on how are cotton swabs bad. Um, And what you'll find is that there's a lot of concern about puncturing eardrums, uh, which I think probably happens often when people try to clean their ears too much. Was really struggling to find anything else against them. And uh, uh, I gave up, I could not find anything. And then once I started looking for, is there anything positive? I found this study, it's just like cotton swabs slash surgical site infections. So, this doctor, I want to say it was in Philadelphia. I'm not sure I could, I could show anyone that's interested, uh, was doing a post-op probe of, uh, of I said, I was going to say piercing sites, of uh, uh, wound sites, uh, uh, just with dry swabs on the wound. And, uh, the, uh, and it, it's like in between the stitches, basically. And what was happening was things were healing significantly faster. They were healing with far fewer infections and the cosmetic results were better as well. Just like, okay, like I've, I've read all I need to read, right? I can't find anything in medical literature at all that says cotton swabs cause problems. I can't find anything about cotton fibers. I can find stuff that says like, oh my God, it's nearly a miracle cure, right? Uh, and I also have my own personal experience of like no swabs was a problem back to swabs things healed better we do a lot less troubleshooting Uh, and then I also have the experience of like testing swabs versus gauze for the cotton fibers and the gauze was worse Um, one thing I want to point out because I I went down my own hole when I I made a class about uh, draping Mm -hmm. and non-woven gauze isn't an organic material it's not cotton it's basically like nylon or rayon yeah so uh, you know if you are 
getting that increased amount of fluff from non-woven gauze and you're getting that stuck or tangled around the end of jewelry in a healing piercing, that's a, a non-organic material too, which can also be irritating in its own way. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something synthetic can be an issue for sure. Uh, so yeah, it just, it just became one of those things where it's just like, I, I need to put this thing to bed. And I wrote about it on my blog um, and I wrote about it on Reddit and then I realized that like, uh, as much as I, I liked participating on Reddit, once I was, at, I, I was kicked out of a forum or silenced for saying like, your obsession with titanium doesn't make sense to me. Um, then I, I was just like, uh, this isn't, this isn't the best version of Jeff and it's also not the best use of my time. <laughs> so I took a big step away and it's been better. Good. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that whole leap of logic where like, you know, you got to go from one to 10 immediately. There's, there's no such thing as in between. Um, when I give clients that direct aftercare advice, spray it with saline to soften or soften your discharge after a, a, a nice warm shower. And then you can like gently wipe that away with the, the, the Q-tip cotton stick. Um, I'll also say like, you know, and if you're worried about fluff sticking to it, a wet, a wet cotton stick, yeah. you know, spray it with some sterile saline and then gently wipe that can really reduce the cotton fiber too. I think if people have a completely dry piercing and there's crusty stuff on it and then they're taking a dry cotton stick and they're scrubbing it that way, like, yeah, it's, it's gonna, gonna be irritating. It's gonna be irritating. So like, I, I get that there can be some, some valid um, criticisms for the method, but you also have to think of it as like, I'm not telling people that they have to like poke at their piercing with a Q-tip six times a day. Right. I'm saying if I'm asking you to clean your piercing two to three times a day, roughly during the first month, maybe one of those cleanings will be with the swab to remove the discharge if you see it there. If you don't even see any sort of discharge, if you're at that phase of healing, start dialing back how often you're cleaning it or maybe try just rinsing it with water in the shower or just rinsing it with sterile saline and not every cleaning has to be with that, that cotton stick. So there, there's, a, there's a lot of like in between ground and when you make this like camp where it's like it has to be all or nothing, that's where people have to basically pick a side. And yeah. when, it, when it gets to that point, it's like, well, this, this is just counterproductive. Yeah, it's an entire generation of people that never read Goldilocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, like in those situations where you have that big blob of gunk, the, the funyun, no funyun. No funyun. On the, on the back of the, the, the tragus, <clears throat> like what I would tell, you know, number one, I'm gonna take that jewelry out, I'm gonna clean it, I'm gonna insert that back in there, and then I'm gonna say, now you know what you're trying to avoid. You're trying to avoid this happening again, and how would you do that? Rinse it, and then occasionally wipe away yeah. discharge. Um, so th there has to be some sort of middle ground of logic. And when you try to push people towards all or nothing, like problems are gonna come up one way or the other. Yeah, it's funny, I was talking with somebody uh, about beer styles the other day. It's just like, I think it might be an American thing. You know, you, you, you take the slider bars and it just, just Americans just like push them all the way to 11, right? right? Hops, <laughs> it's all about hops. <laughs> oh, you like sour? Let's ruin your teeth, yeah. right? <laughs> Well, um, <clears throat> that's beneficial. I, I also really like to clarify to people that when I say like, 
use a cotton stick. Um, I, a lot of times I'll say Q-tip, mm -hmm. you know, because like, it's just like, you know, you don't tell someone an adhesive bandage, you say, put a Band-Aid on it kind mm -hmm. of a thing. Yeah, yeah. So I say Q-tips because I think if you say cotton stick or, or cotton bud or something like that, sometimes people misinterpret that as like, use a cotton ball right. on it, like a fluffy cloud that, that will totally just get stuff stuck to it. Totally. You need that little tight bundle at the end of a stick um, to, and, and that really helps to, to target and clean away something. If you're just wiping something, if you're wiping a, a, a piercing with whatever kind of setting, with maybe some dry crusty stuff on it, and you're using this like fluffy something, you're probably gonna get some of that fluff stuck on the piercing. So I do see logic on both sides of it, but uh, you know, I eliminate that problem by being very specific. Use a cotton stick or a Q-tip, you know, use that to lightly swab it away. If you wanna wet it first, if you wanna, uh, you know, wet the piercing first to soften it. All those things can be very beneficial for healing in moderation. Right. Don't do it 20 times a day. Yeah. And I, I actually like selling the, the cotton swabs that I want people to use um, because first I like sterile ones. Uh, you know, this means that a sterile product is being applied to a sterile swab. The other thing is that the, the way sterile cotton swabs are uh, made, it's sort of intuitive. You tend not to contaminate them, um, which is really great. You open it, you only touch the stick. Yeah, you just, you don't have to tell anybody about that, right? Like just, it's just the way they're gonna work with it, which is so cool. So you end up having this really like, oh, this it's intuitive how to use it correctly, which I love. Um, and also those, those cotton swabs tend to be really tightly wound. Um, so it's just like kind of the best of all worlds and I get to make a little bit of money on it. Um, uh, the only problem tends to be is that they uh, they take up a lot of space mm -hmm. um, and keeping them in stock is uh, hard. Because they come in like a big box basically. They come in, uh, the for piercers, the box size of like 20 of them tends to be about as big as a box of uh, table paper. Okay. And you can imagine that's quite a bit of space. Um, uh, Pete at Rockstar Piercing Supply just did uh, three inch ones uh, instead of six inch ones and those take up a little bit less space. Mm -hmm. So that's great. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that's all really good information. Uh, I don't know if we're, we're definitely not nearing the end of a road for aftercare, but I, I feel like we're having um, less frequent major jumps in what we're sure. telling people. You know, going from, I don't know, just pour peroxide on it to soap and bactine to homemade sea salt soaks to saline. Like now it's like, I don't really see a next thing coming down. I really just think that it's the way that we talk and the way that we provide people with information to draw their own logic. I feel like the delivery of the, the product and the information is changing more than the product itself now. Totally, yeah. And I would actually, I, th I would say, uh, thinking critically, be wary of anyone that's offering the next big thing, right? I forget what it was, but there was some magic solution that was talked about a couple of years ago that yeah. helps piercings heal, and I was just like, no. no. And, and the thing is that it's possible, sure. right? I am totally open to it. It just needs to uh, make logical sense. And, and for me, the big thing is like, is it used by doctors in any any real setting, yeah. right? Or at least like, something comparable to piercing. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, and a lot of times, like, long-term wound management makes a lot of sense to me. You're just like, okay, well, how often is it, is it used? Has it been studied? Is it, and like, because there are a couple products I think are really promising. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. 
I, I got on board pretty quickly when I was abandoning aftercare that I knew wasn't great aftercare. Sure, yeah. When it was the, the dial and back teen, I was like, well, yes, but I see lots of irritation and overdrying and whatever. So it's like, if there's this next thing that lots of piercers I trust are using, I'm gonna get into it and I'm gonna try it. Uh, and then it was the same thing, you know, for the next thing and the next thing. And now it's like, I, I really can't even think of any piercers that I trust with information who aren't doing something that revolves around saline. Cool. And then probably saline with cotton sticks, cotton buds. Well, you know, I, I think that that's a pretty good place to, to end it. Is there anything else on your mind in, in relation to troubleshooting? Not in troubleshooting, no. I, I, I really enjoy doing the class. I'm hoping to do it again uh, online at some point. Uh, I want to say thank you so much for bailing me out. Uh, there's conference in uh, May. Uh, I got COVID right beforehand, uh, and you ended up doing it for me. And uh, I, I, I've heard that you did a spectacular job. I tried to do justice to your dad jokes. Uh, thank you. I, there are a lot of dad jokes in it. And uh, yeah, I know it just it always meant a lot to me uh, that I had somebody, not only that I trusted with the material, that was willing to do it. Like, they're just like, well, this couldn't have gone better. I was happy to do it. Uh, it gives me more chances to stroke my ego and let people <laughs> tell me how good of a job I did. <laughs> um, one last thing I, I, I want to mention is um, you have a, a Patreon page now. I do. For, for years in the industry, before I even really knew you on a personal level, I knew about your, your information and the Confessions of a Piercing Nerd blog. It was really influential to a, a lot of piercers because, again, you, you break down information to form logic, which is a, a really important thing for, for education. And, um, you know, websites, a lot of people are moving away from websites and blogs. It can also get really frustrating to have a, an open access website because you're always gonna get those people, but Reddit said, but YouTube said, but Google said, mm -hmm. and they're gonna debate uh, in maybe like a, a thread or something like that, you know? So you've, you've moved your, your primary blog content over onto the, the Patreon platform, which I think is brilliant because it gives you, um, you know, a financial compensation. You're not gonna make a million dollars off of it, but it also helps it to be uh, more of a community of people who are interested in learning from the information rather than just commenting and, and like tearing apart the information. So what's what's your Patreon info for people? Uh, so the Patreon website is patreon.com piercing nerd. Uh, and uh, if you just go to the original website, which is piercing piercingnerd.com or jeffsaunders.com, there's a link to it there. Um, and you know, I, I got a lot of inspiration from you. It's funny when people are like, oh yeah, I wanted to do your Patreon. It's like, have you done Ryan's first? Because <laughs> Ryan's got a lot of content and I've got, I write a lot, right? And um, it, what's nice about this is that I'm back to it. Um, uh, the, I really didn't do any writing for the past like five years or so uh, because the, you know. Uh, uh, you're a busy guy. A busy guy, uh, being on the board, you're like, do, if you say anything, you're kind of speaking on behalf of the APP and like ha sometimes I have strong opinions and do I really want the board to have to endure the fallout from a strong opinion of that yeah. APP. Um, but the other thing was that I had never made any money on the uh, uh, the blog. I, I got, I, for a while I monetized it with ads and I made 
a hundred dollars and it was just like cool this didn't pay for illustrator for a year because yeah. i use illustrator to draw yeah. uh, or like the hosting and you know oh, yeah however like, many countless hours went into it yeah like we're we're, we're at a net negative thousands of dollars to try to make the block happen um but yeah it's just like one of those things where it's just like i really want to deal with folks that are invested or really eager to do it and they just don't happen upon it and then like my peer says you're an idiot like i I just don't i don't necessarily need that kind of critique in my life (laughs) Um, but i also i i know there's a lot of folks that really want this sort of deep dive so um, the stuff that i'm discussing uh well there's there's definitely going to be technique um and there's definitely going to be health and safety a lot of what I'm focusing on right now is perspective and also building maturity as a piercer. And one of the ways I'm demonstrating that and hopefully getting people uh, to uh, uh, maturity in piercing faster than I did <laughs> is by reviewing my old uh, uh, blog post and sort of figuring things out. It's really awesome. Like the 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 first blog post I ever put out was like this. Uh, a saline solution buyer's guide and in the process of like reviewing it I was like well this one's going to be boring there's just like this little nugget of like deep insecurity and fighting with a competitor in it and I was just like oh wow like I would never behave this way today trying to drag this tacitly involved third party into a fight between me and this competitor it's ridiculous but it was great to sort of uh, uh, be able to recognize it, see where I had matured, discuss it in detail. It's been really fun returning to the Patreon. And you've been encouraging me to do something like this for a while, so thank you for that influence. (laughs) I I, I don't ever want to make it seem like... um I'm trying to, like, hold somebody by the ankles and shake all the change out of their pockets. (laughs) But... um, You know, for, for someone like you who puts in so much time uh, your, you know, your personal, your professional time, but also like the research to, to back this stuff up. It's not just opinion. Um, like, you know, you deserve a couple bucks and it's very affordable. How, you're only charging like how much for your Patreon? Uh, the Niobium tier is $3.33. The Implant Grade Steel tier is $5.55. And I'll probably add additional tiers if I ever do video content. And I may do a lot of stuff about disposable in the future. Yeah. Um, that. I don't want to commit to things. I want to see, I want to, like, you're going to get a blog a month, right? And if you get more than that, cool. Um, I have a a, a six-year-old that's going to be seven in two weeks. He's my priority. Uh, If I have more time after, you know, family and work, then I'll do more of this. Uh, But uh, I'm not going to mess up that balance. Yeah, well, you know, so I don't, I don't have a, a child, uh, <laughs> so I have uh, lots more time. But yeah, it you know I love what I do on Patreon, but um, it's keep, a lot keep, of work. It is a lot of work to make sure that I have a new video and all the stuff that goes into making the video every month has been challenging. But I, I'm I'm up to the challenge. Yes, and, and what you've been doing has been really cool and really exciting to see. So. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I joined finally. Yeah. <laughs> it took me to, I was embarrassed when I was joining. I was like, oh my God, it's been so long. <laughs> well, that's okay. I, I still, you know, I still haven't even, st- I tried to follow a couple of like artists once 
and for whatever reason it wasn't working for me. I think there, there's some sort of error between like, you know, you have a, a, a patron uh, category and you have like a creator category uh -huh. and I think I was getting the two mixed up or something, but yeah. whatever, blah, blah, blah. So um, let's go get back to this conference. Yes, conference been amazing. Uh, uh, it, for the folks that are on the fence about going to GEP ever, don't be on the fence. This is so so worthwhile. Yeah, really, really cool. Um, uh, and uh, they've been so kind to us. There's just a real lovely ener energy in the air. Mm -hmm. um, people are excited to learn. They're excited to hang out. They're excited to eat together. Uh, the environment's beautiful. We're you know yeah, tropical we're like paradise. A, a resort hotel on the beach in Brazil, and there's like. Palm trees with coconuts right outside our window, and yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, it's and uh, because it's Brazilian winter, it's not oppressive. Right. You know, it's yeah. beautiful. Uh, and I, may I add one more additional plug? You may. Uh, so the Fakir intensives are offering classes again. Um, uh, Fakir.org. Uh, the classes have been going so well. Uh, it is the great joy of my professional life to be able to participate in those classes and uh, help write uh, uh, the classes, especially the comprehensive class. Um, we're doing the comprehensive again in three weeks now. Um, it's sold out, but uh, we'll be doing a bunch, we'll be doing at least six classes in 2023. Uh, so you wanna get on the website and get on the waiting list. And uh, if you are an experienced piercer that's on the fence, please talk to, maybe not me, cause you can believe I'm a salesman, uh, but uh, you know someone that's attended those classes, especially the comprehensive class, I guarantee it's worth your while. Um, uh, the comprehensive class is just so much fun and I can't wait to do it again. Awesome. Uh, okay, well, thanks for talking to me. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Always a pleasure. All right, thanks for talking to me, Jeff. You know I always appreciate it. A few things before I go, Lola and I have some loose plans to do some webinars after the holidays. We don't really have the dates picked out just yet. I'm, I'm kind of looking at like mid to late January. We'll obviously give you plenty of information, plenty of time to get registered for that in advance. Um, but Lola's got this great class about transitioning your jewelry. So if you have maybe brands that you don't get excited about anymore, if you want to transition to bring in that newer jewelry, threadless and internal thread and gold and precious gemstones, there's a process to that and, and you really want to make sure that you do it wisely and that's really what Lola's class is all about. It's not really just bring in these brands, bring in these items. It's how much to bring in, in the right intervals. Um, what kind of return can you get on this investment? And then how do you reinvest that to, to continue growing your studio? So it's a brilliant class about transitioning your jewelry. I think it would pair pretty well with my sales strategy class. I've done that online a few times. I've done that live uh, quite a few times. Uh, really good information about like, well, okay, now you got those brands in your studio. How do you sell them? How do you actually get that return on an investment, reinvest that money for more stock, more growth in your studio? So look for that somewhere around, I'm guessing mid to late January, but you'll have plenty of information leading up to it for registration. It will be for uh, professionally verifiable piercers only. So any experience level, any skill level, uh, but you do have to be a professional piercer working in a studio to, uh, to attend these webinars. We've also got some some other content. Lola wrote a brilliant class about bridge piercings for the BMXNet conference and the, the UKAPP conference. Uh, that would be fantastic. And I think that that would pair really well with maybe my new naval class uh, that I wrote for UKAPP. 
a lot of information about floating navels and post-surgical navels and, you know, outing navels, lower navels, all these different things about like, is this safe to pierce? Is this maybe not very viable? You know, what do you, what do you do to make it more viable, etc., etc. So a lot of information coming uh, after the new year, and we'll obviously keep you posted on that. If you are a professional piercer, I also want to let you know that right now is uh, APP scholarship season. So applications are open right now for the, the 2023 APP Legacy Scholarship to come to conference. So if you've uh, wanted to come to conference, but you just haven't been able to figure out a way to make it work financially, this is exactly what we're talking about. The The scholarship is financial aid for piercers who, who want to get to conference, but can't really get there on their own right now. Um, so you do have to provide your own transportation to and from conference, but when you get there, you'll have a hotel room, you'll have a conference pass, you will be expected to, to work and contribute to, to conference while you're there, but it's a fantastic educational experience. Uh, it's a fantastic networking experience too. I've seen piercers really have their, their lives changed, certainly their careers changed through the connections they made uh, at the APP conference as a scholar. So go to safepiercing.org, follow the information about conference, follow the information about scholarships, and get your applications in early. Uh, I'm one of the people on the committee that, that selects scholars, and every year we can always tell those applications where they only started them a, a week ahead of time, or like just before the deadline, or they submit it incomplete and try to kind of like stumble their way through it. And if you compare those to the people who took weeks to prepare it to make sure they had good referral letters from, from actual people they've worked with before, actual mentors, uh, put together their, their introduction video, answered some questions in the application, and you can really tell that there, there are personalities in there, that they deserve the opportunity. Uh, piercers from around the world have gotten this scholarship, and, and you can too. You just have to put the effort in and make a good application. So safepiercing.org, go ahead and check out the information for the APP's Legacy Scholarship. Um, I'll be back soon, maybe not next week, but I do have quite a few new episodes coming down the pipeline for you, so stick around. There's more coming. Thanks for listening. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.